You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. To Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at the Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing okay, Eric. We had uh, uh, we are we are both soccer fans. I don't know how uh, much of our listener base is, is uh we, we sometimes joke about turning this into lockdown soccer from time to time. And, uh, but I think like many of our, at least American listeners, we obviously enjoyed watching the U S women's national team win their second straight world cup on Sunday, uh, late morning. That was a lot of fun. Uh, had been hoping that the U S men's national team could also, uh, <laughs> kind of live up to at least, uh, their much lower bar that is set for them by winning the gold cup. Um, on Sunday night, <laughs> alas, they lost to uh, a Mexican team that just kind of took it to them in the second half. But um, we did at least see exciting things from our guy Christian Pulisic. But anyway, so kind of a hit or miss Sunday from uh, from the U.S. soccer perspective. But the more important game was won, obviously, with the U.S. in the uh, Women's World Cup final. And uh, also kind of basketball things happening, uh, <laughs> especially over the... On, I guess I woke up Saturday and... Um, I had a text. Uh, I forget what it was. Somebody had texted me just like, holy shit or something. That's a fair and reaction. I was like, and I was like, what? And then I, so I checked Twitter and I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about, you know, what was the best outcome from a Bucks perspective in terms of where Kawhi Leonard could land. I think, you know, universally the agreement was that Kawhi landing in uh, LA with the Clippers was probably the best case scenario. Keep him away from the East, you know, kind of wipe Toronto off the contending map uh, in the Eastern Conference while also making sure he didn't form perhaps the greatest big three in league history with Anthony Davis and LeBron James with the Lakers. Um, I don't know. I, I, I still felt like that might be preferable to staying in Toronto just because at least they'd be in the Western Conference. Um, but instead, he ends up in... LA, but the wrinkle obviously was that the Clippers end up uh, shipping all of the assets for Paul George to essentially um, also clinch Kawhi's signature. So I, 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 w- I think it's fair to say that that the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to end up on the Clippers scenario was not on anyone's radar. I don't think many people thought the Clippers were going to get Kawhi, let alone Kawhi and Paul George, but obviously um, just, I don't know, to call it a blockbuster, you know, late Friday night or early Saturday morning, whatever it was that it actually went down. I think that would be understating the hugeness of that move and obviously huge ramifications uh, across the league, um, both for the Bucks, for the rest of the Eastern Conference, as well as obviously the West, because all of a sudden now the uh, the battle for L.A. is uh, as fascinating as, as I think it could possibly be. It was insane. It was That's an insane series of moves. Like, I, like I just... You know, 
I guess it was funny because for so long everyone thought Clippers, right? Like from the very uh, from the very start of the season through the end of the season, you know, anyone that you know you would you would talk to were like, yeah, it's the Clippers, right? Like that was that was all anyone would say is that oh yeah, you know, Kawhi's not going to stay; he's going to the Clippers. And you know, the, then the Raptors win the championship. And it's like okay, well maybe maybe he won't leave and go to the Clippers, and then. The Lakers trade for Anthony Davis, and it's like, oh, maybe he's gonna go to the Lakers. And then, really, the Clippers kind of fell out for the last week of all of this, like the last like three or four days. Uh, as we talked through all of this, everyone's just like, oh no, it's not the Clippers now. And I've, I, as I've said, I think on this podcast and other times on radio, like. You know, we we all like a bunch of people believe the Apple Time Apple Time story about Kawhi. So like, if we're willing to believe that, we know nothing about this dude. So it it was just so funny to see like everyone so sure, and then very surprised by the Clippers. And I, I just remember seeing okay, Kawhi picks the Clippers and being like, oh wow, that's crazy to hear Friday night at one in the morning, or I guess Saturday morning to one in the morning. It was just like. Oh, that's weird. And then Woj just jumps in with the Paul George trade, and it was like, whoa, 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 wait, what just happened? And it's it's crazy. But I mean, if you're from a Bucks perspective, I tweeted out that night, like it's a massive win. I just don't think there's there's any other way to look at it. Like there's there's no super team out there that you're gonna have to you know go to you know, battle in, in the NBA finals if you do make it there. And then there's, you know, one less team at the top of the Eastern conference and the Raptors can still put together a good team and, you know, maybe they'll win 50 games. And uh, when you look at the Sixers, obviously they've made some moves this summer and maybe they're better, maybe they're worse than last year, but they'll be in the mix. Then, uh, I mean, uh, the Celtics maybe are kind of in the mix. Maybe the Pacers are kind of in the mix. Maybe the Nets are in the mix. Uh, so there's just teams around there, but I I struggle to think of a reason why you wouldn't pick the Bucks to come out of the East next year. And we all know that a, a million things can happen between now and ten months from now. Like I, we all understand that, uh, and it played out that way this year. Like the Warriors were obviously going to win the NBA Finals; they're going to win another championship, and then. A bunch of injuries happened and it didn't happen that way. so we can never say anything for sure but i mean going into this season i i, I think the presumptive favorite in the eastern conference is the walkie buck yeah i mean i think if you just say okay what what track record is there of you know the teams in the east playing at a very high level consistent with contending for a championship or coming out of the East. Um, the Bucks, in spite of, you know, downgrading uh, their shooting guard position with Malcolm Brogdon leaving, um, they're kind of the most known quantity in the East at this point. Uh, and I think Philly is the only other team that just on paper makes sense being in that, in that mix. Obviously, you know, Brooklyn with KD out, presumably for the full season, I don't know. It's it's a little interesting with KD just because Achilles guys usually come back within a year. So I don't know. It seems like people are just assuming he's out all of next season. That would be kind of the safe thing to do. Um, 
is it possible he could come back late in the season? Yeah, it's possible. But, um, you know, Brooklyn probably not competing at that level given KD's injury. And obviously, like, I mean, Oladipo still isn't going to come back probably until a few months into the season as well. So, um, so it's kind of an interesting, an interesting situation where, you know, I think you're going to have that window with, uh, in the East, at least with a couple of teams below full strength. And, and even if they were full strength, I mean, you know, those teams going to compete with, you know, at the Bucks level and maybe Philly's level two years from, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I think Philly, you know, the big question with them is just, you know, with the moving pieces they had, um, losing Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick, swapping in Al Horford and Josh Richardson, you know, you have two very important pieces going out, two potentially really good, important pieces coming in. What does that really mean for Philly? You know, Embiid's injuries, Simmons question marks, all those things um, still applying. Do they have any guards as we were talking about the other day? So, so yeah, I mean, I think the general consensus would probably be, you know, Bucks and Sixers uh, as the presumptive kind of top tier East. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you look at uh, the odds, you know, I think going into the weekend, I know the, I think after the, um, after the the, the Kawhi uh, Paul George double swoop, uh, I think the last odds I saw were you know uh, L.A. the Clippers were something like three to one, and the Bucks were like four to one or something like that. Um, and so you know the Bucks were were second um, essentially from um, you know from an odds perspective behind only the Clippers. So yeah, essentially they'd be you know the the kind of presumptive favorites via those odds. Uh, coming out of the east but um but yeah i think absolutely uh you know would you rather have had Kawhi in la without paul george and paul george you know slumming in oklahoma city with russell westbrook uh yeah i I would rather have that because then i think the bucks probably are the favorites for the nba title um but as you said i mean the grand scheme of uh of how this could have gone um you know potentially having to go through Kawhi again with the raptors or um or potentially him Joining that mega three in uh, in LA with the Lakers uh, alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, you know, as much as the infrastructure of the Lakers raises tons of question marks, again, <laughs> that combination of three dudes is just scary as hell. So, so yeah, I would say it was a win. I was a very happy Bucks fan on Saturday for that for that very reason. So, um, again, it's going to be fascinating to see how these teams kind of fill out, you know, sort of the, the remaining pieces of the roster, but. Um, you know, Clippers have, I mean, again, this is, you know, the core of that team. Obviously, they lose Gallinari. They lose Shea Gilch Alexander, who obviously had a really promising rookie season. But, um, you know, net, 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 you would think that uh, that 48-win team got better with, with adding Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who, again, um, Paul George may not play early in the season after double shoulder surgeries uh, in the summer. Kawhi, obviously, expect him to get load managed, uh, as he did last year in Toronto. So maybe that team is not going to have just like a monster regular season, um, but you'd expect them to be really good. And obviously, just the organization they have around him, um, they're, I think, I think they're a scarier franchise right now than than the lakers who i think in fairness too i mean the lakers summer last summer was just abject trash uh or after they got lebron i mean i think this summer obviously adding ad is the big story but even beyond that um you know they've actually put some pieces they've actually put some shooters around them a bit more now they're apparently bringing rondo back so that's you know kind of weird Javel McGee is apparently coming back but you know <laughs> Boogie Cousins is going to be in there who knows what that means you know that that's a high volatility move obviously at a, at a pretty low price um so again just in terms of like total talent I mean the Lakers obviously are, are way beyond where they were a year ago so um 
nothing would surprise me again, but again, you know, just sort of compare it, you know, Doc, Doc Rivers and the front office, Jerry West, Lawrence Frank, compare that to, you know, sort of the clown car atmosphere that, you know, I think Laker fans are probably worried about with Jason Kidd likely already scheming for Frank Vogel's jog before the first game even starts. And also, did you, did you see before all the craziness of Friday night happened, did you see the picture of Jason Kidd chatting with LeBron James? Yeah. Yeah. in the darkness sort of there. I mean, it it was perfect. As I tweeted out, this is art. Like literally talking to LeBron James in the shadows. Like it was, it was, it was perfect. Yeah. It was sort of the, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars, uh, Darth Sidious or Emperor Palpatine, whatever uh, uh, moment, uh, kid lurking in the shadows. I don't know if he had a hooded sweatshirt on, but he might as well have. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of that. All right, I'm, I'm trying to think through anything else with, with all that. I mean, to me, the only thing I think you find yourself thinking even more about is, you know... It'd be it'd be pretty nice if the roster had Malcolm Brogdon on it now. Yeah, right. Like like it, uh, to me that was that was what I found my the first thing I found myself thinking was, oh, this is a huge opportunity for the Bucks. And then the second thing was, wow, uh, if they had Malcolm Brogdon, and again, like their their title odds, I think are third behind the the Clippers and the Lakers, and I think most people will assume the Bucks are going to be the best team in the East. Uh, or at least the favorites be the best team in the East going uh, into next season. I I don't know that their championship odds would change anything, but I know most people would be a hell of a lot more comfortable if it was Malcolm Brogdon there instead of George Hill, right? Like that. Uh, essentially, they chose George Hill, a first-round pick, in two second-round picks over Malcolm Brogdon, and you know whether that's that's good or bad or whether or not that first round pick into second rounders turns into something more at this point, it's not that at this point you're looking at Sterling Brown or Wesley Matthews or Pat Connaughton or Dante DiVincenzo as the starting shooting guard on opening night. And no, it, those guys could all end up taking step forwards. There could be internal development. They could be better. All of those things could be true, but even with that being said, are any of them ever going to be as good as Malcolm Brogdon? No. Like it, next year, can, can they be as good as Malcolm Brogdon? Ah, it seems seems relatively unlikely. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a health thing, right? Like if, and again, like we'll never know, right? If Malcolm Brogdon has a bunch of injuries in uh, Indiana next year, I mean who knows if that would have happened in Milwaukee, right? I mean, it's all just, at this point, it's a sliding doors thing, you know? Um, Obviously the better Malcolm Brogdon plays, the more, and the better Malcolm Brogdon plays and the, the worse the Bucks look or, uh, you know, the Bucks suffering a drop off or the Bucks doing anything but winning a championship. I mean, you know, again, if Brogdon is is as good as he has been, then um, they're going to be second guest. And that's, that's what you sign up for when, you know, you say that you, your only goal is to win a championship and that you're willing to pay the luxury tax. And then you don't do those things. Right. I mean, those are, that's, that's just, yep. that's how it's going to be. And um, I think again, as you said, um, is there still room for the bucks to use particularly that first round pick that they got from the Indiana move uh, to add another piece? There is. Yes. Um, 
you know, it looks like the trade exception that, that would have been generated uh, is likely going to be lost um, just in kind of the mechanics of, of all the things that are happening. Uh, it, it was a kind of a convoluted process that would have needed to happen to generate that trade exception that's been talked about, you know, again, probably like a 10 to $12 million trade exception, depending on what Brogdon's first year salary was. Um, but essentially um, I was DMing with Nate Duncan, who had Nate and, and Albert Namad, uh, who are obviously two guys who um, are very creative, especially Albert's. I mean, he's like a, uh, he generally writes about the, the heat, but um, he's a great Twitter follow. He is just an encyclopedic um, CBA guy. Um it sounded and like that's the saying way that... something coming from you. And again, <laughs> uh, like I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that you are or are not encyclopedic, but you are the guy that we lean on for that as uh, I think a greater Bucks community. And you're saying that about Al. Yeah, and and I just sort of like waved the white flag on this a little bit. I think the way that it was sort of described to me was that basically they would have to. And, and again, the, the the basic idea of it is that a trade exception counts against the salary cap, and so. When you're under the salary cap, when people talk about teams with cap space, the assumption is that if they had any trade exceptions, they'd be wiped off the board. Because you don't, you know, again, if you had 10 million in cap space, it's, you know, again, you had like a $10 million trade exception. Well, you'd rather have the cap space because you can sign players versus a trade exception. You can only use that to absorb contracts. So uh, cap space is better. So you might as well just renounce the trade exception. So essentially, the 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 core of it is that. Um, the theory of how they could have generated this trade exception while then also having cap space to sign George Hill was that essentially they would free up enough cap space to sign bro- both Brooke Lopez, who they already have announced that they've signed, right? So that that's already off the board, that you know, $12 million or whatever the, the starting salary is going to be. And then they would have had to create enough cap space to give George Hill his $9 million or whatever uh, in, in cap space. And there was a little bit of debate, well, if it had been like $8.5 million starting salary, then the Bucks could have traded the trade exception by, and I believe they would have had to renounce Brogdon's or withdraw Brogdon's qualifying offer so that his cap hit would be lower. And obviously you wouldn't do that if you wanted to keep him. You'd only do that if you had an, you know, an agreement to do a sign and trade. Then sign and trade him only after you have created enough cap space to get George Hill, which means that you would have had to either stretch John Lohr or make some sort of trade with John Lohr or or selling silver or whatever to create enough cap room to sign George Hill on top of um, Brooke Lopez. Cause the bucks could not have just gone out and signed both Brooke and George to the numbers that we've heard without making a move like that. And to stretch, you know, lure, you'd have to go through that process. And meanwhile, you know, the Pacers would have to wait, basically wait for everything to happen in order to facilitate, you know, this, this trade. And so I, I don't know exactly the, the behind the scenes of, you know, whether that was really feasible, whether they just didn't think it through about the, you know, 8.5 million versus 9.2 million that, that, you know, we've heard about is, is Hill only a few hundred thousand dollars under where you, you could have been to, to get him and keep the trade exception. Again, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you why exactly kind of the order of operations wasn't able to be done the way kind of Nate and Albert had kind of envisioned it potentially being done. Um, and again, I don't know with how quickly things are happening. I have no idea if the Bucks even like thought of that scenario or not. But um, suffice to say, like if you ask me, like what can the Bucks do with their trade exception? I've tweeted a couple of things today. Like I, at this point, I'm I'm 
waving goodbye to the to the trade exception. And I would love it if somehow I'm you know we've missed something and somehow they figure out a way to get it back. Um, but at this point, you know, I think you know, given that the, the Brogdon trade has already been done, um, you essentially already would have that trade exception counting against your cap. And so, in order to basically create the cap space to sign Hill, you have to get rid of it. Uh, so that's the basic idea. And again, if they went and traded Ursan and Lure for nothing somehow, you know, salary dumped them somewhere, which again, without attaching other assets, just can't isn't going to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, you could have you could open up additional cap space, but then at that point, you wouldn't even need a trade exception, <laughs> a trade exception anyway, because then you might have more cap space. So, anyway, long story short, I think we should probably we can probably bid adieu to the um, to the trade exception that that was at least discussed. Um, and so instead, you know, the final accounting will be out with Malcolm Brogdon retaining George Hill because of that, essentially. Uh, and then, um, you know, again, I'm guessing likely John Lohr stretched, but even that has not been been made public. And so that's probably the one that those are kind of the, the, the shoes that still have to drop. Like, what do they actually do to enable the George Hill signing? And again, since that's just between George Hill and the Bucks, I'm guessing George Hill and his agent will say, you know, figure it out you know we don't want to wait too long for this to happen but they can wait a little while to actually make that a signing official and then only after they do that can they um make the chris middleton signing official since he's got bird rights so they don't have to they don't have to do that in really any any particular order they just they that that's the the one that they would do last since his cap hold is is much lower than his uh his first year starting salary so anyway i think we've glossed over everyone everyone's eyes now are glazed over from uh from having listened to that little little thing but uh hopefully people are not too disappointed by uh trade exception dreams being uh being burst i will say the one thing i am interested in is how long any of it takes yeah because you know like when you are you mentioned okay maybe is there is there a trade partner out there for lure or, or sunny Lesova or or whatever it may be and it's just like okay if you think there's one out there do you how many free agency to come off the board um you know, like, do you need to see some of these guys on offer sheets start to, uh, are restricted free agents that are signing offer sheets? Like, do those need to get sorted? Like, how long could it really, could it really go? And, and that's to, that's kind of what I find interesting about all this is, uh, you know, if, if you really wanted that trade exception, like everything would have had to move. I'm not going to say exceptionally quick, but quick. Like, the lure stretch would have had to happen and you would have had to start really kind of pounding this stuff out. Uh, so yeah, I, I would agree. I, I haven't gotten any sense, uh, from really anyone that there's much hope that that trade exception is going to be, uh, is going to exist. And obviously you just kind of, you just kind of laid out why, why it probably doesn't. Uh, so yeah, that's, and, that's, and uh, it would, it, it would be very useful to have it just because the bucks are now a decent chunk under the luxury tax. So, yeah. um, you know, again, like all they have left at this point are minimum salaries that they can offer players. So uh, they're they're not going to hit the tax level just by offering you know these these minimum salary levels. Um, and and again, one thing to keep in mind as well. So when uh, veterans who are have been in the league more than two years are signed, they technically get paid more than what counts against the cap. So essentially, I think it's about one point six million this year is the two year veteran minimum. Um, but the league essentially reimburses teams for anything above that amount for like veterans. And basically that's just a means of ensuring that, you know, a 10 year vet 
doesn't get essentially not signed because he's more expensive than a lower priced younger player. Um, so the Bucks, you know, if they sign like a, 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 a you know a rookie or a one year player, that would have less of a cap hit than a two year veteran or beyond. Um, but other than that, you know, again, they can essentially offer up to two years and minimum salary numbers to whoever they want, right? And so, you know, Kyle Korver has been mentioned as a guy that is likely headed towards a buyout. And, you know, the Bucks and Lakers and Sixers have been mentioned. Maybe the Clippers th- get thrown into that mix as well. Um, you know, they only have the minimum to, to offer a guy like Kyle Korver or any other player. Uh, and they can only offer up to two years um, at that minimum level amount. So um, kind of bear, bear that in mind, you know, and certainly as, as some of these teams, like I think the Lakers will still have a bit more cap space depending on kind of all the stuff that they're doing and ordering of it. Um, but they figure to have a bit more flexibility. I think the Clippers also had their entire room exception available. Um, so, you know, again, that, that obviously would give teams like that a, a leg up if they wanted to add, you know, one of these kind of veteran buyout type, type candidates as well. All right, uh, let's move on to one of those deals and kind of how uh, all that worked out. Uh, reported first by um, Valas Nikos in Greece of Eurohoops and then uh, confirmed by Sham Sharanya uh, of The Athletic. Thanasis Atetokounmpo signed to a fully guaranteed two-year minimum deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, for those unaware, Thanasis uh, had spent some time in the States, uh, in the NBA. He was with the Knicks organization for a little while. Uh, He was also over there uh, doing some of their, uh, also with the Westchester Knicks, excuse me. So he, he had a little bit of time there. Um, and then he spent the last three years uh, over in Greece. So, yeah, Thanasis' uh, uh, time in New York was his age 23 season, 2015-16 season. He ended up playing two games for the Knicks and then uh, spent some other time in Westchester. Uh, and then since then, he's gone on to uh, – went back to Greece and, and played there and he's, he's played some minutes there. He hasn't put up huge numbers or re- really anything like that. Um, his last name is a Um He's related. He's related to Giannis. Um, if you were curious, it wasn't just like a coincidence or anything like that. Like he, he is actually related to Giannis Dedekumbo. Um He's one of the Dedekumbo bros, if you're uh, uh, unfamiliar. Um, so I, I guess, Frank, I, I mean, we've had this question in, I think, just about every form for every brother on the team at some point in a mailbag. Uh, in lead-ups to drafts, uh, before last season, um, this summer as this rumor has kind of started uh we we've answered this a number of times and uh, it it remains to to me to be a a can of worms that i i just i could never imagine opening yeah i i described it as a slippery slope today on on twitter and i again i 
it, it is, you know, the, 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 it, this is a double-edged sword if there ever was one. And um, I, I don't think we know the full details, obviously, of what led to to this. Um, let's just say, you know, it is rare that you can add a 15th man who on the plus side could help you retain <laughs> your MVP, uh, your league MVP, sure. right? Um I mean, the, like the only the only precedent for this is uh, the Knicks signing Chris Smith uh, when J.R. Smith was on the team. I, I, I'm trying to think of other instances of this where the, there's a, a player that probably is an NBA level getting signed to please a, a more important player on that team. I mean, like Kendrick Perkins getting signed every spring for. Sure for like to LeBron teams or I don't, I can't remember if it was always LeBron teams, but like, I mean, there've been guys who have gotten, you know, paid or, or gotten, you know, NBA contracts based on friendships. I mean, Deandre Jordan probably got way overpaid by, by the Nets because of his friendship with yeah. uh, KD and, uh, and Kyrie. I mean, they gave up money. They gave up parts of their max contracts. The Deandre Jordan could get paid 10 million a year over four years, um, 40 million total. Uh, so, I mean, certainly the idea of using friendships and things like that. I mean, this is not like the first time that's happened, obviously. Um, you know, the, the Morai twins uh, were together in Phoenix and, you know, were very close. And, you know, ultimately when they were broken up, that apparently was part of the reason why Markeith had a really bad falling out in Phoenix because Marcus was traded to Detroit. Um and you know that just kind of highlights again the double-edged sword of 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 signing someone's sibling and bringing someone in. If it works, it's great. <laughs> you know, yeah. if uh, you know Thanasis is a guy who you know he's a six-seven. I'd say probably. I mean, he's a. I guess you'd say he's a small forward, combo forward-ish guy. I mean. Again, I will not claim to have watched the Nassus in Greece the last couple of years. I will not claim to have seen anything more than, you know, I, I remember watching him when he got his can of, can of, or cup of coffee, not can of corn, <laughs> can of corn, his cup of coffee uh, with the Knicks. Um, but, you know, he's basically like a physical, very athletic wing slash combo forward defender who has a very low skill level and has just never developed any sort of perimeter shooting ability. I think I'm just looking at his numbers over the last three years in Greece across all tournaments. Um, you know, his aggregate three point percentage is 25%. So unfortunately that, that seems to run in the family, the, the non-shooting nature of, of, uh, of the dead Kumbo is not, not hitting threes um, has been his free throw shooting has even gotten worse since he went to Greece, 55%. Uh, he was under 50% in both competitions he was in last year. And, you know, you just watch, and again, like, I'm not going to act like highlights, tell the story of the kind of player he is, but I mean, he basically looks like a rim running big man, except he's six, seven, you know, he's very athletic. He like comes in as a help side shot blocker. Like, you know, it looks like, you know, you're watching like a, I guess like a Montrez Harrell, like highlight reel maybe. Um, but I think that would be extremely charitable to say that, you know, in no way do I think you can expect him to come in and give you a Montrez Harrell's type impact, right? Because uh, it is very hard to have that style of play at the size that, that he has as much as he is um, athletic. And so, um, so yeah, this is, this is challenging because now what? 
okay, you've got a guy who there's no indication any other NBA teams were going to make him an offer short of, you know, as like a Giannis um, olive branch, maybe uh, in a couple of years. Right. Um, so the Bucks, I mean, again, you can only, you can only assume this is Bucks basically trying to head that off at the pass and in some way appease Giannis. And I, I think it's just, again, a 15th man should not have the ability to help your odds of signing an MVP. Uh, but the downside here is, okay, so how long do you have to keep Thanasis on the roster if he isn't an NBA player? Like, do you have to wait till Giannis signs a Supermax next summer? Can you cut him then? Is Giannis going to be pissed that he signed the Supermax? Is, you know, do you have to keep him on the roster the next five years as long as Giannis is here? I mean, it's just such a, I have no idea. I don't know. You know, we don't know what Giannis's expectation is that comes with this. Um, and we don't know what happens if you're in a position where, you know, I mean, we saw it last year where uh, the Bucks were trying to make a bunch of moves around the, per- the periphery of the roster. And, you know, they had to cut, you know, Christian Wood, who was a guy that I think you would have liked to keep on the roster, given he was a non-guaranteed kind of young guy who might have some, you know, kind of role player potential. And obviously they ended up having to waive him because they were adding Pau Gasol and then they had the Brogdon injury and they wanted to bring in a point guard. All this stuff happens. And, you know, you can say, well, it's the fifth man, 15th man. And on some level, I think the Bucks are pretty well equipped to not really need their 15th man. But you don't know. You don't know if you're going to need to throw in a salary to be able to make some trade work. You don't know if, you know, that one random guy on the buyout market comes available that could really help your team and wants to come here. And then, oh crap! You don't do you have a roster spot to give him, right? Are you you know is is the fifteenth man now untouchable because of his last name? I mean, all this stuff just again, it you know, if you want to just look it through the lens of well, that's the cost of doing business, the cost of keeping Giannis, then obviously, yeah, of course, like you know, give two more random dudes that Giannis is friends with roster spots if that's if that's what it takes, right? Um, but, and again, I don't want to like trivialize like the fact that Jan- that Thanasis is obviously a high level player. He's not like just some random dude off the street, right? I mean, he has actually had a chance to perform at the NBA level. He was a perfectly solid G League player. I think he was all defensive twice. Um, there are things that he can do, I think, that could help a team. I just don't think at this point we have any evidence to think that he's going to be, you know, additive to an NBA roster. And so, um, Again, it's just a can of worms, and I I don't know what happens from here on out. I don't know what this says about Giannis. I don't know what this says about the Bucks front office. We can read into this so much or so little, and I I think it's just it's just kind of worrying because you just worry that you know a year from now, do we look back on this day of you know a signing that in the grand scheme of things like you know shouldn't really make matter that much. Do we look back on this and say, oh, well, you know, guys kind of resented the fact that Giannis just got to have his brother on the team and like, oh, that kind of like soured the locker room on some level. And like, you know, are we going to like look back on this and say like, boy, that that really didn't help. And then if the Bucks tried to, you know, move on, then does that create some huge rift because Giannis is pissed that you got rid of his brother? I mean, that, that was always the reason why we never wanted the, you know, I never kind of wanted to even go there in the past when we talked about Costas or orthanasis previously it was just like i you know unless these guys are like really good players like and you're getting them for what they can do on the court 
it's just, it's, I just don't think it's worth it. And so again, that's just, that's just my fear right now. And again, there's a, there's a version of the story that is super positive and, you know, the works really hard and he's a total MF or in practice. And even if he like never plays, you know, he's a good locker room guy and a good dude and, you know, he'll do whatever you want. You'll probably go throw him down to the herd a lot. Um, there's that version of the story and it's Giannis getting goodwill with the franchise, blah, blah, blah. That's presumably what the bucks are hoping for. But then there's also kind of that other timeline that, um, you know, if things go a different direction, that it could definitely have a negative impact that, you know, a 15th man just generally wouldn't, wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the part that's tough for me is, you know, you, you think about some of the late signings for the bucks this last year and, those guys played. Yeah. Those guys made contributions and that's not to say that that's going to be the case every year and that, that you're always gonna be able to find that. But I think we would all have pretty serious questions about whether or not the Nasus can actually make an NBA impact. And, you know, if, if you're signing that guy, that's, that's a little bit of a concern. And, you know, I just go back to thinking, about the conversation I had with Giannis at the end of the season, you know, as we were talking about how much depth this team had and how, how he could just rely on everyone on the roster and all those things. And, you know, like that was, that was really it. We joked that, you know, Bud has some Steve Kerr in him where he's going to, he's going to play those role guys and uh, he's going to, he's going to go deep into the rotation. And, you know, if you want to do that, you got to keep having guys that can, fill in and as injuries happen you want to be able to do those things and you know it just seems uh, out of character for me uh to imagine Giannis thinking yeah I, I really want my brother on this roster even if it even if it makes us worse I, I want my brother on this roster can you can you can you imagine him thinking of ever having the team be worse or you know ever like considering the idea that Oh yeah, like uh, I want my brother on the roster, and you know maybe he's not. And again, maybe it would just be total belief in his brother that his brother is actually an NBA player and just needed the the right opportunity and all of that. But I don't know. It's just it it's such a strange thing to hear and to see um, with Giannis. But like you said, if if that's the case, if this is if this is the thing that ultimately gets him to sign in Milwaukee, you've made a great move. Like You've made the best move. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if this does help in some small way, that's great. But if it doesn't, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, Giannis didn't have enough help will be the storyline in Milwaukee if he leaves. And I think you're going to, you know, kind of think to yourself, huh, you know, maybe if we would have tried something different with that 15 spot, Maybe we find someone. Maybe there's a diamond in the rough that works out. Maybe there's a rotation player that works out. Like maybe there, maybe there was someone else out there, uh, but instead he left, and we used the 15th spot on the roster for two years on on a guy that you know just wasn't good enough to be there. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, again, like trying to put yourself in Giannis's shoes, I I I can't imagine Giannis would do this thinking that it was charity, right? I have to think first off, I don't, yeah. I mean, it would be insane for the bucks to do this without 
getting at least some prodding from Giannis, right? And again, like it's kind of hard to figure out. Like it's it, we can only speculate, right? I mean, is it Giannis saying like we could use some more physical, athletic guys on on the wing? And hey, man, like my brother can play. Like I I think he can. He's absolutely gonna like he could absolutely fill a role for us, right? It's probably something like that. Not hey, man, give my brother give my brother a job. <laughs> you know, like I mean, yeah. but. Ultimately, again, like the Bucks as an organization, they have to navigate these types of things. And um, obviously, they are probably very wary of doing anything that would be perceived as, you know, rubbing Giannis the wrong way. But by the same token, I mean, we've seen them make moves to trade players that, uh, that Giannis was clearly fond of, right? I mean, he's said many times that Thon Maker was like, was like a brother to him and how close he was with Thon. And obviously they, you know, were willing to make a move to, to get rid of Thon. Now Thon also requested a trade. So I think that was a key kind of part of, of that move. Sure. Um, you know, Tony Snell was obviously a guy I think that, that Giannis, you know, liked a lot again, like were they close as brothers? No, I don't think so. But you know, again, like I don't think the Bucks have like gone out of their way to retain every guy that they perceived as being Giannis's friend. I think Michael Carter Williams was was pretty good buddies with with Giannis when he was here. You know, they still interact on Instagram. If you ever just like, you know, if you follow Giannis there, like MCW will comment on Giannis stuff too. Um, so I mean, I think Giannis at this point should have a pretty good sense of sort of like you know the, the nature of the business. Um, but obviously, yeah, it is curious that, you know, the Nassus has been, you know, in Europe now for three years and it's not like he's developed into some, you know, different type of player who's now like, oh, now he's added these things to his game and now he can really contribute in the NBA, right? Like, ironically, you could argue that he might be better suited to the NBA anyway, just because, um, I think a lot of times like guys who are more athletic, I think sometimes those guys like maybe pop more at the NBA with, with more space and room to operate. Um, but again, I think with him, like, you know, I don't think he's an NBA player. I don't think he'd be making a team or playing minutes in, in any type of normal situation, at least from what we know. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's just kind of a black box to some extent. Like we can obviously, you know, make some speculate and make some pretty good guesses as to how something like this happens. Um, but I think it, it kind of brings with it more questions than answers. And, you know, especially with Giannis, we've always, I think, I mean, I've always appreciated the fact that like, he's a very like, kind of uncomplicated guy and, you know, it's just like, you know, we always kind of, it's almost like a joke, like how his entourage is, you know, his, the, you know, his basically Thanasis, Costas and Alex his mom and his girlfriend and they just go everywhere together. And that's just, that's just it. Right. And obviously Thanos has yep. been in Greece, so, you know, he hasn't been around as much, but um, you know, it's, it is very interesting just how close that family is. And it was always like, Oh, well, it's like, you know, he doesn't have a posse. He doesn't have, he's not from America. Like it's just kind of that family core that is everything to him. But it's kind of strange now because it's like, you know, man, like, this is one hell of a flex if he's if he's using the fact that he's the franchise to you know get his 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 older brother an NBA two year guaranteed contract right I mean you know I don't know like there's just like if you had, if he had come and played summer league and then they turned that into like a camp invite and then they turned that into you know like a non guaranteed contract or something like that then at least it follows kind of a progression that sort of makes sense. But like, 
you know, we heard the rumor of that he might play summer league for the Bucks, and then that kind of obviously didn't happen. Um, and so the fact that he just sort of like gets to like skip all that stuff, um, it's curious to say the least. I'll say that. And and again, I, I mean, Thanasis as like a person, I have I don't know of any reason to think he would have any you know bad impact on the locker room or that he will take anything for granted. You know, like I don't think we we have any reason to believe that. Um, and certainly his style of play doesn't suggest that he would, he would, you know, be complacent about anything, but, you know, again, it's a locker room is still ultimately like just a group of guys. And when you introduce these sorts of, you know, atypical situations, um, you just never know how, uh, how that might, how that might impact sort of things or, and again, whether it's the locker room dynamic or the Bucks ability to make moves and, and again, whether you now have like an untouchable fifteenth man, which is obviously not a normal thing to have, that's it's just kind of a whole, a whole lot of questions come up with it that we really, you know, again could be nothing and could actually be a positive, but there's absolutely kind of downsides to this that I think, you know, I certainly had hoped we would just never have to even entertain the possibility of of introducing. All right, I think that should be good for now. Anything else you're thinking about? Um, otherwise, I think we'll we'll be able to continue talking about the Bucks off season in the coming days. I, I mean, we're not going to go like uh, two hours on the Bucks summer league so far. You not you not not interested on that in that? Um, I I'm heading out for Vegas tomorrow. Um, I'm very excited for summer league. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite type of basketball to watch. Um, I mean, uh, I guess quick summer league stuff. Sterling Brown has looked really bad. Uh, DJ Wilson hasn't played. Um, do you have anything else? Dante DiVincenzo has not played. Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo has not played. Um, Dalton Hamas I think is kind of yeah. fun, but he doesn't mm-hmm. play a lot of defense. Um, he might. He just might not be a, an NBA defender. Uh, Fletch McGee has not played. Uh, much to the disappointment of Bucks Twitter, yes, uh, Fletcher McGee has not played. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, I, I think that's about it. What, what else do you got? I think the the only two guys that have been um, obviously, you know, putting aside Sterling because he's a roster guy, um, and I, I think Bonzi Colson has done kind of Bonzi Colson stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he definitely looks like a better player than pretty much everybody else on, I mean, pretty much everybody else on the Bucks roster. Uh, so I guess that's encouraging, right? I mean, he did some random things when he had some opportunities late last season. Um, I think the, of the non-roster guys, um, Dalton, is it Ham? is it Hamas or Holmes? It, so heard- the broadcast, the broadcast, uh, the broadcasters have been saying Holmes, but every college highlight tape I've seen of him, says Hamas. So okay. I don't know what's going on there. The first, yeah, the first, the, the first broadcast I saw the first game, I think they said Holmes. The second one, I thought they were saying Hamas. So maybe it is Hamas. Uh, that's the kind of phonetic, uh, phonetics, uh, pronunciation. Um, yeah, he looks the part. Um, and you know, game one, he, he shot the ball. Well, uh, has an interesting backstory of being like a D two guy who had multiple ACL tears in high school and sort of just like kind of flew under the radar and grew a lot and, uh, and then worked out a bunch with, with Gordon Hayward. And, and I mean, he's got basically the, you know, Gordon Hayward frame and that he's six, eight and white. Um, (laughs) and, uh, but I mean, he kind of looks the part and, you know, he's, 
I mean, looked has looked pretty comfortable. And, um, you know, I think as a guy who I, I'll be curious to see, I mean, it'd be, it'd be cool if he ended up like on the herd, for instance, like, I don't, I don't know if he's, you know, two way worthy even at this point, but, um, he's a guy who could be interesting. And then I think the only other guy that I, I found interesting was a guy that I, was sort of my, the guy I was most interested in coming into Vegas, which is Ray John Tucker. Um, yep. I think he's just, just athletically, he's just kind of, um, he's bouncy. He's, he's very bouncy. You know, he's like six, five shooting guard, um, had the opportunity, sound like he had the opportunity to maybe play as a grad transfer at some pretty big programs this year, opted, uh, after I guess finishing early at little uh, Arkansas, little rock, um, to go pro and, uh, was a guy who I think he, what put up 20 points, seven rebounds, I think hit, I think he hit 40% plus from three as well. So, yeah. um, kind of an interesting combination of bounce and also some, some shooting ability. And we've seen certainly some of that bounce and some of the sort of physical tools, um, but very inconsistent sort of translation of those tools into, you know, productive sort of minutes uh, was definitely better in game two than game one. Um, but even in game one had a really nice kind of show and go fake pass into a, a driving, driving dunk. Um, so he's, he's definitely an interesting player. And again, I, th- I would kind of categorize both him and Thomas as like, yeah, those guys, those would be cool guys to like throw on the herd, you know, yep. uh, again, like, are they even two way worthy? I don't know. I'd probably would say they're probably like maybe a year away from that. And I think it kind of highlights how hard it is to go from college to, you know, even a two way or G league level. Like that's not easy. Um, and a lot of times, you know, you want to catch guys after they've been out of college a couple of years and actually had to make that adjustment to sort of a man's game. Um, and, and do yep. some growing up in some cases. I mean, like Christian Wood's a good example, right? I mean, he's probably more of a maturity case. Um, but like, you know, he wasn't ready as, as much as he was a really productive college player and the tools that he had. I mean, he wasn't ready to be an NBA player coming out of college. He wasn't, you know, ready for that. Um, and again, you could argue he may still not be ready for that to be a legit NBA player. But, um, you know, he certainly grew into a guy that, that obviously, you know, whether it was summer league last year preseason and then you know ultimately he did some you know put up some numbers for the pelicans late last season when he got a chance to play a little bit like again sometimes it just takes a couple years for guys um to kind of maybe bounce around and and earn their stripes a bit and sometimes that's playing in europe sometimes that's playing in the g league combination of both and so again i think that's i think there's always a tendency to overrate kind of guys who are just who are like the guys you've heard of coming from college and then you underrate guys who you know maybe came out of college a couple years ago and kept developing in the g league or kept developing in europe and sort of have blossomed into more kind of finished products because again i think as much as vegas is a weird kind of petri dish in which to kind of watch basketball um you know there's there's men in, in those games <laughs> there there. It's a, it's a sloppy style of basketball. Um, but it's also, you know, guys fighting to get noticed and it's, it's, it's different. It's a different sport from college for sure. And, uh, I think again, it's not, not easy to just come in as, as a college guy who maybe was even a good college player and, and immediately make an impact. So again, very, you know, with the exception of wood, I, I'm trying to think, I'm not sure. I'm not sure in like the last decade I've seen any other guys, make the bucks like real roster based on, you know, being like basically just a a summer league dude. Um, and I would guess that will hold again this year, but obviously with two way contracts now, um, you know, there's a little bit more flexibility and, and with the herd being a thing that actually exists now versus a few years ago, there's also more room to potentially, you know, see some of these guys maybe end up, you know, kind of floating back into our orbit through the G league. I would say Sean Kilpatrick, even though it wasn't with the bucks, 
Like, oh yeah, that's like, true. Eventually, he got came back to the sure. Bucks. Yeah, but like I, his summer league performance with the Bucks, I think, yeah, got him into the league. And you know, I think that's Tucker and Hamas are interesting to me because, um, you know, the the teams that do really well in summer league are typically teams that have uh, some guard that can you know hit jumpers off the dribble efficiently or inefficiently like it, it, it's just like kind of those things uh, sean kilpatrick's a, a really good example of it where it's just like okay uh this guy can go get a bucket it's sloppy basketball um and this guy can kind of do this as an iso scorer here but you know no team on earth is going to give this guy the ball that often to try to do that against you know the real NBA competition, but here it's fine. Like he's better than these guys uh, that he's playing against and he can go out and get these buckets. So let's just give it to him. Let him cook. We'll win some games and maybe we'll get like a summer league championship. Like that's often what it is. And you know, why I think Tucker and Hamas are interesting is like, they're not, they're not killing it by, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, like they both have skill sets and skills and athleticism that I think play that you know when when you get Tucker and he's got the little bit of explosiveness that he has a little bit of the shake and the wiggle uh that he has off the dribble um and then you know can shoot it a little bit and then has that athleticism on top of all of that it's just like okay that that can work like is it there all the time yet no but that skill set will play in the NBA and you know you, you look at Dalton Hamas and it's like, okay, six, eight with the ability to shoot it off the dribble a little bit, the uh, ability to hit threes. Okay. Can he play defense at this point? No, not really. But you know, could he possibly learn that maybe? And I just think when you look at those skill sets, it's like, okay, those are guys that could possibly be in the NBA uh, someday and, and not just, guys that are built to dominate summer league. I don't know if that makes any sense, but there's just, just certain guys that are going to do really good in a summer league scenario. Uh, And sometimes those summer league scenarios are just never going to end up playing out in the NBA. Um, So I think it, it, it'll be really interesting to watch, but I'd agree. Those are the the two other guys, the two non, you know, roster guys that are former roster guys are, I I don't know how to really describe Bonzi Colson. Um, but you know, like Colson, DiVincenzo, Wilson, Brown, um, like those guys, he's those two are the the ones outside of it that are like, okay, that's that's kind of interesting. Let's see what those guys got and, and let's see where this goes. So uh that'll be what we're we're gonna continue to watch uh at NBA Summer League. Uh I will be there tomorrow night. I will be in the building. Uh so that is that is quite exciting, or I guess technically tonight by the time you guys listen to it, because I'll be flying. Enjoy it. Enjoy a rebel dog for me. I, I can't wait to try to knock down your record of, I don't even know how many rebel dogs you've finished in a day before. Um, <laughs> oh, I've, I've never, you, no, I don't, I don't, it, very few people can eat more than one rebel dog in a, in a day. So. I, wouldn't right, be, uh, I wouldn't be here to, I wouldn't be alive if I had, if I'd eaten more than one rebel dog in a, in a day. Uh, I spent too much time in Vegas. You got to pace yourself. <laughs> all right uh frank and i will catch up again sometime i'm not sure uh i will games are obviously late in vegas um so we will uh we'll see when we can connect again and 
uh, give you guys some more podcasts. And maybe the Bucks will figure out what to do with their final uh, roster spot. Maybe they'll figure out what to do with their two ways. Um, and we'll uh, kind of see where that goes. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys later.